This is the time of the year when we have new beginnings and all sorts of new series and uh, the Throwing Stone sounds a great series for, uh, for the young people. And here in church we'll be looking at uh, the person of John the Baptist over the next number of weeks in the morning and in the evening we'll be looking at the book of Jonah and tonight we're starting that with What God Feels. During this last year I brought out this wee book, Anywhere But Nineveh. And uh, that would be a good book to accompany the next month. So that will be available on the welcome desk. Uh, and you're welcome to, uh, to um, have a copy of that at that uh, special, special reduced rate uh, for this coming month. And that will nicely tie in with the evening series, which we begin tonight at 7 o'clock. Now we're going to turn to God's Word, and Colin is going to read uh, to us this morning uh, from page 1025, the first in our series on John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1, and begin to read at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for his burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right hand, right, hand, right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bury you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will, be a joy and, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will, bring, uh, will, be, uh, will, bring back to the Lord, will be brought back to the Lord their God, and will go on before the Lord in the sight of the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom to the righteous, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife, wife is well on in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time came of service he was complete, he returned home. 
After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then moving on to verse 57 down to 66. The birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like the name of the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbours were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard his one wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. It would be enormously helpful to me if you were able to turn to page 1025 in our Pew Bibles, which Colin read to us. And we're going to pray together. Our gracious Father, you know our hearts and you know our needs. And as we turn now to your word, it is our prayer that our affections may be inclined to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably the question most frequently asked of us these days is, what was the highlight of your year as moderator? I'm not sure people's expectation of the reply, whether it be Buckingham Palace or 10 Downing Street, the Somme or Nepal. But our response is as unexpected to us, I think, as it is to others, because the thing we enjoyed most about this past year has been spending time with what some may regard as ordinary people, nonetheless doing the most extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. And that then leads to the question, who in Luke chapter 1 is the most important person here? Is it Herod the king, for example, in verse 5? Herod, the ruler of Judea, described by Josephus, the uh, uh, Jewish historian, as highly capable, the master builder, utterly ruthless, responsible for the death of countless enemies and potential rivals, including his brother-in-law, his wife, his mother-in-law, and three of his twelve sons. Was Was it Herod? Who was the most significant person in Luke chapter 1? And actually, it turns out to be a baby yet unborn to two regular 
ordinary, humble human beings who, verse 6 tells us, were both righteous before God, walking in the commands and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Why do I say that? That this soon-to-be-born baby turns out to be the most important person. Well, in Matthew chapter 11, later in life, none other than the Lord Jesus described this child to be born as the greatest of all men. That's why. And if Jesus regarded John the Baptist as the greatest of all people, it's important for us to see why. At this specific moment in time, this dark time in history, there was a powerful political leader. But he wasn't the most significant person as far as the Bible was concerned. While Herod was the king, God was doing an extraordinary thing in the lives of ordinary people, preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. I wonder if we need to be reminded this. The really significant events in God's perspective are rarely the political events that dominate our news. It's often said, though, that the darkness is greatest before the dawn, and so it was here. You might like to glance back to the very last book of the very last uh, uh, chapter of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 4. And since the writing of the book of Malachi, there had been silence for 400 years. The people had been in spiritual darkness for that length of time. As far as revelation was concerned, there'd been nothing. But you see what was foretold by Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet, in chapter 4, verse 5. The day is coming. Hold on to this, he says. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day when the Lord comes. Before the Lord appears, I'm going to send you one who prepares the way for his coming. And that person will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And so now here in Luke chapter 1 verse 16, none other than the angel Gabriel Gabriel, who was last seen, by the way, in the book of Daniel, 500 years before this incident, Gabriel arrives in the scene and quotes the very words that we have just spoken from Malachi the prophet. This baby, chapter 1, verse 16, to be born to Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Are you ever tempted to believe that God is silent? Ever wonder with all that is going on in this world if somehow God has, has nothing to say? nothing happening. God is at work, often in the lives of the most ordinary of people, but in the most extraordinary ways. God is still at work. His purposes are being fulfilled as year succeeds to year. 
So here in the lives of these ordinary, faithful people, Elizabeth and Zachariah, going about their regular activities in a godly way, God was preparing for the coming of someone extraordinary, a very special person in the history of the world. Uh, just as we aside, if I may, Zachariah and Elizabeth here are described as, as righteous and blameless. Not perfect, but righteous and blameless. In other words, they were people who wanted to put God first. And so that's the context into which God brings about His purposes of grace. Do not be tempted to believe otherwise. It is very easy for Christian people to be lulled into the uh, thinking that glitz and glamour, Herod's palace with all its power, with all its pomp, with all its influence, with all its wealth, with all its celebrity is the place where everything's happened. Not at all. If you're wanting to experience God at work, may I encourage you as I preach to my own heart to maintain righteous and blameless lives as individuals, as a congregation of God's people, as a family unit, that is the context into which God is pleased to be at work. Okay? Well, back to the text. And as we've seen from verse 5, we know that Zechariah was a priest. He was married to Elizabeth, whose, whose dad was also a priest. And at that time in the history of Israel, there were told about 18,000 priests. So, verse 8 tells us that while Zechariah was engaged in his regular uh, priestly duties, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Clearly, not everybody could serve in this particular capacity. And so, in time-honored fashion, Zechariah's name was pulled out of the hat, and it was his turn to go into the sacrificial place, the altar of incense, and as priest to intercede for the people. This was a great privilege, and Zechariah must have been very excited to have had this awesome responsibility entrusted to him. And as the great company of other priests and pilgrims were also praying on the outside, you see that in verse 10, Zechariah experienced something extraordinary on the inside. Because there, verse 11, <clears throat> an angel appeared to him. That is a special messenger from the Lord. And he was standing at the side of the altar, and in company with every other person who's ever encountered a heavenly being, he was terrified. Do not be afraid, said Gabriel, verse 13. When have we heard angels say that before in Scripture? Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. <clears throat> well, we don't know whether that meant the prayer he had only just offered up had gone uh, <clears throat> into the presence of the Lord, or was it a prayer he had made earlier in his life? But whatever it was, God was going to answer his prayer in a most remarkable way. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that God loves to respond to our praying in ways that are even beyond our wildest imagining. And that's why uh, we can be encouraged as individuals and as a congregation to uh, really embrace this coming week as we set apart each evening to prayer. God loves to hear and to answer the prayers 
of His people. So, we do not give up praying, but uh, here Zachariah's prayer was, was, I think, more than, dear Lord, might Elizabeth and me have a baby. It had to be more than that. In fact, they'd probably given up praying that prayer if they ever prayed it. As righteous, fearful, faithful people, I'm certain their prayer was much more likely to be, dear God, please will you come to the aid of your people, Israel. In days of political turmoil and religious indifference, please, Lord, will you break through and cause indifferent hearts to respond to your word to, res- to return to you. That would be a great prayer, wouldn't it? And God fulfills His purpose through ordinary people, people willing to be channels through whom God may work. And so here, the angel uh, now communicated to Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth, although advanced in years, would bear a son upon whom God's Holy Spirit would rest. His name would be John. And this wee boy would give his parents joy and be a huge blessing to the entire world. Isn't that what any Christian parent prays for? Lord, in your providence, in your great uh, plan, may the blessing of a child, may she or he bring good to this dark and needy world in which we live. I fear that in this area of life, as with so many these days, Christian parents can be influenced and infected by the values of secular society on these matters. How many times have I heard people say that their greatest desire for their children is that they might grow up to be happy? As long as they're happy, that's the key thing. And believing parents must resist that lie and say, no, Lord, it's not that I want my child to be unhappy. No sane parent would ever pray that. But Lord, may my deepest desire be that our children would be holy, set apart for you, a blessing to this dark and difficult world in which we live this fragile and sinful context in which we happen to find ourselves. He will turn many of the sons of Israel, verse 16, to the Lord, verse 16. That's the key thing. Now, please don't misunderstand, but I'm absolutely convinced that many of us pray far too small prayers for our children. We limit our intercessions to their happiness, and happiness is fickle. Happiness is transient rather than praying for holiness so that the horizons of being ready for the Lord, a people prepared, is what we want to pray for, verse 17. And so to that end, you see, said the angel, instead of being filled with strong drink, which obviously was the norm then, verse 15, this child would be intoxicated with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Sadly, I've known dads who have taken their sons down to the pub to buy them their first pint. 
But I've also known dads who have prayed with and for their children that they might have such a thirst for the living Lord that they would not be satisfied until they are drenched and overcome by the life-giving Spirit of Jesus. Mums and dads, grannies and grandpas, it's never too late to start to pray that for your children and your grandchildren. And if you haven't already started, start right now. And just a word for any of the young people and any parents-to-be, can I encourage you to be so bold as to determine to pray that if by the grace of God you're entrusted with a baby, with a son or a daughter, that you would ask God to fill them with the Holy Spirit even before they see the light of day. John the Baptist was a covenant child. And people of the covenant are encouraged to pray that like righteous and blameless Elizabeth and Zachariah, that there would be no moment that the next generation would not know and love the Lord Jesus for themselves. Banish the idea that our children have to be battered by Satan and the ways of this world before they turn to Jesus. That's a horrible thought. Pray that from their earliest moments, our covenant children would be set apart for Him, pure and clean, unsullied, ready to serve and love the Lord. Well, as we can see, Zechariah got far more than he anticipated when performing his priestly duties. And verse 18 tells us that for all his godly wisdom and experience, Zechariah did a very foolish thing, and he asked for further proof that what the angel said would come to pass. How shall I know this, he says. I'm an old man. My wife has advanced in years. And evidently, it wasn't enough that he had met an angel. (laughs) Zechariah wanted more evidence from, from God. Miracles are a bit like that, aren't they? We experience something remarkable in our lives, but no sooner do we have that experience than we want another one, just to prove that the first one really was a miracle. Uh, But as you can see from verse 19, Gabriel wasn't well pleased. And for his unbelief, Zechariah would be granted some time of quiet, silent reflection for the next nine months or so. Was that harsh? I don't think so. Having encountered one of the two chief messengers of God, Michael and Gabriel, having received a heavenly revelation, Zechariah could only see himself as an old man rather than someone charged to give uh, prophetic and godly leadership to the people of God. In other words, at this most significant spiritual moment in his life, Zechariah doubted the power of the resurrection. He doubted what God could do. And so, when he went home, he had to explain to Elizabeth what had happened to him in other ways, to speak. And, uh, and, and he had to wait, verse 57, until his doubt was transformed to active belief. Well, we read that in due time, the wee boy was born. Quite naturally, the neighbors and the family circle gathered around And at his circumcision, they assumed that this precious wee lad would be named after his father, little Zach. Not so, said Elizabeth. 
and puzzled by what she had said, they all looked at Zachariah for his reaction, uh, and with conviction and renewed spiritual leader, he asked for his tablet and typed his name as John. And at that, Zachariah's tongue was loosed. He spoke, blessing God. Why do you think, by the way, that it was important that this wee boy be called John? Is it because it means the beloved one, maybe, the gift of grace? Um, I rather suppose it's because it was to make the point that this wee boy's birth had been due to a power that lay out with the family, out with natural means. That's why. And at this moment of confessing what the angel had promised, Zachariah's previous unbelief was transformed to active worship and service. And we're told that fear came upon all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about in the neighborhood uh, in Judea. What will this child be, said people, for the hand of the Lord was clearly upon him. Well, Zachariah knew what this child would be, didn't he? Because in verses 67 through to 80, and what has become known as the Benedictus, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied that this boy, John, would go before the Lord, verse 76. He would prepare the way. He would give knowledge of salvation to his people of the forgiveness of sins. No wonder then Jesus would describe John as the greatest man who ever existed. Could there be a more vital role then? than preparing the way for the king? Could there be a more vital responsibility for those who own the name of Jesus or for our children that filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we too may go from here this morning in the fear and the awe of the Lord to point people to Jesus. What was the highlight of your year? It was seeing God at work in the lives of seemingly ordinary people, doing extraordinary things in the name of Jesus. That's the greatest privilege. And there is no greater responsibility for any of us ordinary people, filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit, to do as John did point people to the Savior. So we pray. And perhaps for one, maybe for many of us, this is the start of a new session after the summer break. As we begin to think about our priorities for these coming months, this is a God moment. We're like Zachariah the divine breaks through and we're given the unique opportunity to reprioritize, to refocus on the things that really matter, to put behind us the things that distract, to reconsider the things that are spiritually and eternally significant. And pray that Christ would become greater in us and in our children, and we would become less. 
our Heavenly Father, as you speak into our various contexts and circumstances, please lead us in the way of godliness and righteousness so that empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit, we may be people you call us to be. And what we ask is for the glory of your Son's name. Amen. And we pray. Lord, the offering is the time for thanksgiving. And we want to thank you today for the return of Frank and Claire and Ruth. Thank you too for Damien and Sarah who served us in their absence. And may the ministry which has begun today in Drogheda be richly blessed from on high with many brought into the kingdom and the whole church family there growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we your family here in Bloomfield, enter a new winter session. Grant, gracious Father, that pastor and people, that we may know our hearts strangely warmed as together we worship, praise, pray, and serve. Give us a spirit of unity to seek your face, to understand your will, and to follow your way in the coming days. We pray for the world, for Mr. Trump and Mr. Kim. Lord, they are excellent at trading insults and provocations. May they become just as good at finding peaceful ways of resolving problems and difficulties. And grant stability, we pray, in the Korean Peninsula and in that whole wider region. Nearer home, we pray for local politicians. Lord, we pray that those of us who live here, whatever our political aspirations, that we may seek to arise and persuade our politicians to come to some sort of equitable agreement before the NHS and other essential institutions begin to disintegrate before our eyes. This is a time of new beginnings. So we pray for those entering new school or new college 
or new job. New days also bring new challenges. And we pray for the family of the late Mrs. Hildy Malcolm. And with her family, we also pray for all who grieve, for all who are heavy burdened. And we name some before you now. Lord, here in highest heaven, and answer for your name's sake. Amen.